Today we begin a message, and the message is titled, you all ready for the title? Advocate. Everybody say the word advocate. One, two, three. Advocate or accuser. Everybody say the word accuser. Say it a little bit. Accuser. It's kind of got that, that sinister side to it, doesn't it? Advocate or accuser. Listen, as, as your pastor for some of you, for others of you that, that aren't part of the church yet, you're not so sure, as a kind and encouraging voice in your life, I want to encourage you to do the hard work of leaning in and listening to the advocates in your life. And I want to encourage you and partner with you to inspire you to do the hard, tiresome, at times overwhelming work of hitting the mute button on the accusers in your life. On any given day, in any given arena of our life, there are two spirits at play. The spirit of the advocate or the spirit of the accuser. I know these voices or those spirits, should I say, very, very well. Advocates are my friends, are my fans, <laughs> are the people I encourage you to surround yourself with. You need people that are leaning into who you are, not only cheering you on, but praying for you, encouraging you, and continually expanding the vision that God has for your life and the dreams that he's put in your life. An advocate, if these are new terms for you, an advocate, listen to this, it's a person who stands in your defense, someone who supports you, who lifts you up and cheers you on. An accuser is a person who accuses, brings up your faults, your offenses, and your past mistakes. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is a spirit of advocacy in and over our lives. And I believe he invites us to operate, to live our life with not only that same temperament, but the Christ-likeness formed within us that when pain happens, when hurt happens, when disappointment happens, we just react with advocacy. Advocacy is the spirit. It, in fact, Scripture tells us that's the Holy Spirit, Jesus actually references. He says, it's to your advantage that I take off, that I leave, and that the advocate comes who will help you, who will make you aware of who I am, Jesus would say, as equally who you are in me. I remember when advocates began, at least for me, I began to become aware of advocates in my life. We had just immigrated from South Africa, Cape Town, 1993, heading into junior high. How many of you know junior high is just the best, is it not? Right, that's what I thought. <laughs> and I remember coming, and immediately, immediately, I was amazed with my teachers. Because coming from the culture I had been climatized in, and that I had been raised in, not my family. My family was completely different, but my school 
disciplined in such a way that I don't even know if they knew the term advocate. But they were very, very familiar with the term accuser. And they were all equally familiar with my last name. And so, in the middle of class, Deary! And then I forgot what was said. Something I did. Something I missed. Something went wrong. And, 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 and you know, the exam, it was all that you missed. I only missed one. Yes, but you missed one. There were only ten. You know, good job on the nine, but let's emphasize the one you missed. You ever had those people in your life? It's like... Let, 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 let's, hey, Paul, let's just for the day, let's focus on all your shortcomings as a student. All right, let's, let, let's, just, let's just lean in to all the mistakes you're going to make. And then they got so good at it, I would just show up to school. And it's like, Gary, we're ready for you. I, I haven't opened my mouth. I know, but we're waiting. We're ready, and we're going to accuse you. But I noticed when I came over to the States, man, these, te- these teachers, they're just, they have feelings, they had emotions. They, they would say things like, that's okay. Mistakes happen. They would, they would grade papers, and they would put the strangest thing. Nine out of ten, and then they'd have like a red sharpie. It'd be a circle with a smiley face. Ta-ta. Changed my life. Changed. I've never been the same. I remember, I remember in youth ministry, I'm finally a teen, you know, looking forward to youth ministry. And I remember one particular youth leader in my life, man, he started asking just some strange questions. Like, man, do you know God loves you? Yeah, do you know God's called you? You have a purpose. He's got a big future for you. I was like, what? I'm just excited. I have armpit hair. Look at my armpit hair. Look at this. And he's, he's like, no, 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 zero in. God loves you. You have a future. He's got a plan for you. And it began to sow seeds, if you will, of God's love, God's goodness, God's hope in my life. And I've had to cultivate over the years because, full disclosure, too many times I'm letting in the open door of the accuser. Because you need to know this about accusers. They dwell on your past. They have no mind for your future. You need to know this about the accuser. In the book of Revelation, it says that he accuses the brethren day and night. He never changes. His plan never changes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus would say, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. The enemy accuses you of a decade ago, two decades ago, sometimes many decades ago. Some stories of people I've heard that just can't shake the words and the voice of the accuser of their life. It will cripple your future. It will cripple your relationships. I've even seen it cripple a home dynamic when the spirit of the accuser is at play more than the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you, I want to inspire you. Maybe for some, I'm challenging you today to lean in and to listen to the voices in your life and to recognize and discern the spirit of the advocate in your life. Today's gospel reading, or the one I'm going to spend some time on, is out of the gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. 
and thinking of the advocate or the accuser, I think you'll see in this passage it really begin to surface. And then I've got a few thoughts for us after we read. So Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Story of Jesus. Gospel of Mark is a pretty quick, it's kind of a news headline gospel. I love it. And this particular passage is very, very telling of these two spirits at play. Mark chapter 3, 1 and 6. And he, Jesus, entered the synagogue again. And a man there who had a withered hand. So they watched him, being Jesus, closely. Whether he would heal him, here it is, on the Sabbath. So they might, what? Accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by their hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians, Romans, against him. How they might what? Destroy him. The spirit of the accuser has no problem connecting the dots. From healing a withered hand on the one day you're technically not supposed to. And trying to crucify you. Most of us, I would like to think, would have a tough time connecting that dot. Spirit of the accuser, when you've cultivated it for long enough, it's got no problem writing you off. Jesus enters the synagogue. Think about, let's, let's just imagine for a moment the backstory of this man with this withered hand. In those times, a withered hand, it was magnifying the broken state. And so, scripturally, at times, the Pharisees would manipulate the letter of the law, for the spirit of the law. And they would begin to connect the dots for this man with this withered hand. And so for them, they would enter the synagogue. You could almost imagine them just muttering when they see that withered hand. Sinner. No good. Worthless. Broken. Disgusting. Shameful. Why are you even here? That spirit is all in the room. And he would be well aware. And yet, he's wanting to fulfill the law. He's wanting to hear Torah spoken. Because as Peter would say, man, these words hold eternal life. They lead us in the way of life. And so despite his brokenness, and despite his shame, who knows? Maybe he was hiding it, you know? Just kind of had it tucked away. And he would step in. And so the spirit of the accuser would make its judgment but here now we see the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus to do the works of ministry. And Jesus, what does he do? He leans forward and he touches and he heals and he restores. This man's withered hand goes from broken to healed, from withered to whole. It's the story, if we play it out long enough, 
the story of the gospel, the good news in your and in my life. And yet not everybody left that day on the same page. Some left rejoicing. Some left joyful. They're singing reckless love, man. Just, I don't know what that was, but you know, the party is on. They're excited. You can imagine, I mean, withered hand and all. This guy's just hooping and hollering and Maybe for the first time, get to lift his hands in prayer or in worship. Life changed forever. But that was not the only spirit in the room. The spirit of the accuser, they left in a totally different mindset, with a completely different perspective, and a temperament that was anti-Christ. They couldn't recognize what was at play because of what? Jealousy. The seed of jealousy we don't know when it started, but we know that in Jesus' three years of ministry, it was plaguing the Pharisees left and right. They were jealous because they couldn't heal. They didn't celebrate. They critiqued. They weren't joyful. They judged. They weren't busy praising. They were busy pointing out all the problems. They built a case against Jesus because he restored the kingdom to the people. It's remarkable when you think about it. When you think about the journey that so many people make in their walk with God and in their life with God only to enter a room only to enter a workplace, only maybe to return and rejoice and explain to their parents and their family how Jesus has saved their soul and for the family to look at them and think, you gone cuckoo for Cocoa Krispies, buddy. That's just crazy. We know you. We know what you did. We know your past. Jesus looks at us and calls us beloved. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of advocacy is on our side. That we have a bold statement here. And, and if you've ever seen it on social media, I, I, I'm sure it's resonated with you. But we, we, we like to say that God loves you. Period. Your past doesn't define you. Period. God has good days ahead. Why would we do that? We want to partner. We're not unique. We're not coming up with this. We want to be people who partner with the Holy Spirit in and over and through your life. And that's the call for each of us to listen to the advocate Christ declaring his love, his life over us and over our souls. I have a couple quick diagrams. Let me bring up the first one just to maybe frame this for some of you that, that appreciate imagery. The accuser, you could see this at play with the Pharisees. They had biblical precedent. It's always a great day in the synagogue when the Savior is held accountable by the Pharisees' use of Scripture. You know it's going to be fun. If you're wondering, did anybody do that in the New Testament? Yeah, his name was Saul. Jesus had to blind him for a few days, shake off the stronghold of religiosity, and set him free. Anyhow, so the law, 
They're all about justice. They're all about shame. Come on. Any of you been manipulated by a good old guilt trip? Yeah, all right, thank you. One other person has. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. Guilt, abandoned. That's what the accuser says. You're abandoned. You're an outcast. You're too far gone. You don't measure up. Hebrews would say, Jesus entered our pain and was tempted and tried in every single way we would be. He entered, but he never lost his belovedness. In that moment, it's remarkable. Rejected, it kind of comes with the territory. Well, the advocate, the advocates in your life, they love. Now, they know you got to change. We all know you got to change. But they lead with love. They invite. They're not prodding and poking you and condemning you forward. They're inviting you lovingly, showered in grace, mercy. They declare over you, you're forgiven. You're adopted as a son or a daughter of the king, and you're invited to the Lord's table. That is the spirit, if you will, of advocacy. John 14, 26, just so you have it, just so I've read it, but the advocate, here it is, the Holy Spirit, whom what? The Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of advocacy. We must be careful throughout the week, throughout our day-to-day living, in the family union, in our marriages, in our relationships, as parents or as children. We forgive deeply the words of the accuser used through others. And we lean in heavily to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, the battle is heavier. The battle is harder The battle is far more tricky and difficult than maybe the person right next to you. The invitation still stands. Listen in to the voice of the Holy Spirit, calling you loved, calling you beloved. Scripture says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I heard this week, it fascinated me. It it makes perfect sense, but first time hearing it. It's this concept called slingers. And in the Old Testament... When an army would try to take a town or take a city, one of their first points of attack were the walls. And they would sling, you know, try to take down a rock, try to take down the stones. And then others would run, grab those stones, and they would sling them into the wells that the city used to receive water and, if you will, life. They would shut off their life source. It was one of the first steps in in ancient kind of military work. And so it's remarkable when you think about these, these kind of slingers, if you will. But think about it in our own life. An accuser slings our past into the well of life that God has brought, bringing and brought forth. He wants to sling an isolated incident. He wants to sling a past mistake. He wants to sling some consequences you experienced or are currently experiencing from something you did years ago. And here's what happens. If we're not careful, it begins to shut down the well of living water that God has called for us to live in. Far be it from you and me 
that we intentionally or unintentionally partner with slingers, so to speak, and choke up the life that God is doing in other people's lives. I mean, once you begin to think this way or once this becomes on your radar, it's almost everywhere. You begin to recognize the accuser never sleeps. I mean, day and night. The book of Revelation says, John in exile, writing against empire and the principalities and powers of darkness. He's writing, and he said, man, day and night, these accusations stand. The enemy of our soul tries to cripple us from stepping into our future, and he uses accusation. Here's another breakdown for you. We can bring up that second um, image. An accuser does three things. They leverage your past against you. They leverage your past against you. Addict. God comes along, removes the label. An accuser, not so fast. Not so fast. Really, when it gets down to it, a lot of times they're jealous of the freedom you've found. Why can't they celebrate what's happening in you? Because they're too busy competing against you. Why can't they just you know, applaud because they're too busy trying to break you down. They're jealous. A lot of times, they leverage your past against you. Second here, I have they isolate an incident. Come on, we all have memories. In our family, sometimes they all remember us for something stupid we did. That's kind of fun. You know, that's kind of in between the spirits. But a spirit of accusation, it perpetually will isolate an incident, a one-off, a one mistake, and completely write you off forever. It won't emphasize any of the good that's taken place. I don't know if you're familiar with some documentaries around. They, they fail to mention sometimes some of the good that people do. It's remarkable. In our own lives, if we're not careful, we can feed and feast off accusation and lose sight sometimes of the fruit of what God is doing. In our own personal lives, you will face accusation. Come on, aren't you glad you came to church today? Come on. Isn't that good news? <laughs> what a Palm Sunday message. This is the best. Oftentimes, the accusation coming against you will isolate a sin or a season in your life. Why are they bringing that up from 30 years ago? What's the point? The point is to steal, kill, and destroy. Number three here, they fixate on failure. As if we didn't do enough fixating ourselves. The spirit of the advocate forgives your past, picks you up when you fall, and they cheer you it's a beautiful picture of what God does for us. Beautiful picture. What I like to do occasionally with criticism is I, I like to receive it fully. I let the pain of it, you know, I don't want to run from the pain. I let the pain of it wound me, so to speak, hurt me. A little part of my personality is I, I receive it, and it may be 99% absolutely crazy. But I look for the 1%. What can I learn from what I did? 
because I know myself. I'm 1% imperfect. I mean, I'm, I'm just kidding. I know myself. I am capable of mistakes, all right? And I realize, man, I'm, I'm able, uh, uh, you know, I'm capable of miscommunicating. I'm highly capable, if you haven't realized, of missing expectations. So when a critique happens, and they happen, receive them. What can I learn how can I grow? Is there character being built here? But then I also, if there is any legitimacy, I ask the Holy Spirit to help me because I realize that can actually mature me. That can help me grow. But where accusation goes sideways is when we take it as truth over our life. You know you need coaches, you need Barnabases in your life. If you're unfamiliar with the story of Acts, Barnabas is called the encourager. He would actually coach Saul, who would become Paul, the greatest evangelist ever. Barnabas was in his life. Yes, to cheer him on, but he would also coach him. He would lovingly critique, grow him, strengthen him, guard him. Paul would, I'm sure at times, be like, you crazy. You crazy. But Barnabas would just, what did he do? He continued to be an advocate so that Paul could reach his full potential. Whether we realize it or not, we're here because of Barnabas in a lot of ways. And we must learn to decipher. We must learn to, to if you will, be emotionally mature to recognize what is, what, is, what is a personal accusation or the spirit of the accuser and what is the spirit of the advocate. Just in case... The enemy of your soul has been whispering to you this week. Just in case some situations popped up that you thought were over. Just in case somebody messaged you and you didn't see it coming. And it has entered and the pain is real. Jesus forgives you. Jesus redeems you. He is the one who calls you beloved. He is the one, no one else. He is the one who reveals the heart of the Father towards you. The book of Hebrews would say in 12:24, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What's he saying? Jesus' blood covers the multitude of sins, the multitude of shame. And when the moments pop up, the moments pop up, ask the Lord, thank you for the thick skin and the tender heart, God, that I need. Thank you, Father, that I don't have to replay the spirit of the accuser, but I can hit replay the Holy Spirit. And then... God invites you and me. He invites us to leave this place. Think about this. He invites us to leave this place. Some of you, this may change your work environment. He invites us to leave this place and to serve and to care and to creatively think of ways we can be the advocate for people who may despise us in this moment. It's a beautiful working of the kingdom of God. He invites us Palm Sunday, it's the story 
of Jesus in his most tense week. He would find himself. I was reading it this morning, the gospel reading for the week. It's a long one. I was reading Luke chapter 3, verse 14, all the way through chapter 14. It just, just long, long, long. And here's what's amazing. He was accused and accused and accused and accused. And he embraced it all that we might have life. One of the most remarkable statements on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you've been touched by that love, now we walk in that love. I don't know how. I can't forget, but Lord, help me to forgive because there's a chance they have no idea what they're doing. I want to encourage you. And today, where I began, it's so vital we lean in and listen and foster and cultivate those relationships to be in even a church, to be even in a family, to be even in relationships. The people come alongside a man and say, hey, God's got a good future. God's got a plan. I know the circumstances are not so. I know you're going to make mistakes. But can I tell you something about my Savior? He has an abundance of grace, an abundance of mercy, an abundance of love towards you.